You're listening to a message from Highway Church with Jim Hockaday. Enjoy. Amen. Praise God. Wow, wasn't that good already this morning? Amen. One of the blessings about coming to Highway Church is you're going to be blessed. Praise God, even before you get to the, the uh, message. Amen. Amen. Wow, it's so good. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this place. I thank you for what it represents, just the love of God in people's hearts. We love you, Lord, and we ask you to just minister through us right now. Father, I thank you that you'll make the words that we speak so palatable for everyone. It'll just be so simple, so easy, Lord God, to break down. And by the time we're done, everyone can walk out of here and not just be blessed today, but take something with them for tomorrow and the rest of the week. We honor you and thank you that all sickness and disease is under our feet. We thank you, Lord God, that this is just a part of our rights and privileges to call ourselves Christians, sons of God, daughters of God, children of the Most High. And Lord, I thank you today. Everything done will magnify Jesus. Nothing will magnify anyone else. We thank you, Father God, Satan's under our feet. He's nothing but a negative influence and nothing that can harm us, hurt us, or influence us because you, Lord, are real to us. And today, what we share, I trust, will cause that to be even a greater reality. Lord, make this an awesome day as it is. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, really wonderful to be with you and and, uh, recognizing faces and, of course, Names have never been my strong suit, so sorry about that, but I'm getting better. I am getting better. At least I don't just, like, pick a name. (laughs) I did that for a while. I thought, well, maybe I can, you know, just, it'll come to me. And then it was very embarrassing, and then my wife was with me one time when I did that, and it was really embarrassing. And uh, the worst part was in North Carolina just a couple of months ago, Aaron was with me, and this guy was introduced to me, and I knew his name was Bob, but it was actually Bill. And so it was so bad. It was like ingrained in me that it was Bob that I said, hey, Bob. He goes, actually, it's Bill. I said, well, that's what I mean, Bob. And then I kept on going, and I never did, you know, get Bill out. And so the next time I saw him, I said, hey, Billy Bob, you know. And anyhow, it worked, and so we're friends. He got over it. But anyhow, Aaron was mortified. She goes, oh, my God, you called him Bob, even when he told you it was Bill. And so she had to get on FaceTime with all the kids and tell them, and then they laughed their heads off because it's another one of Dad's blunders, you know. So, But anyhow, praise the Lord. It's good to be family, isn't it? Yes. Amen. I love this place. I consider it an honor to be with your pastors and their family. And, and you. Amen. So this isn't just another gig, you know, that we do, another church service. Uh, you know, I believe the Lord has intention for everything. Nothing just happens. Things do happen, but I believe there's purpose in all of it. Amen. And I'd like to see us all as believers begin to become more aware of the purpose of God every day we live. Amen. We, we heard... Uh, there's a book by Father Lawrence and, and uh, Brother Lawrence, I think it is, and years ago called Practicing His Presence. I think that that is a book that everybody could get and just read that, and it would bless everyone. Just to think that somebody back in his day would get the idea, is it possible that I could have God on my mind and in my thoughts 24 hours a day? And then he began to journal that to see how much of the day he was aware of God. 
Well, you know, think about it. Anything that you become aware of, you're going to start to become, if you will, drawn to. And that seems to really be the crux to Christianity is what is it that you're most aware of? Because in the time of testing, where do you go but to the thing that you're most what? Have the most allegiance to. Why, you know, as, as good Americans, when we were growing up, of course, you know, our, our days of growing up back in the 60s and 70s is a lot different than today. But we considered it a, an honor to stand and put our hand on our heart and pledge allegiance to the flag. Amen. Well, why would we do that? So that in the time of testing, our allegiance would be to the United States of America. Amen. And I know that that it becomes, uh, has become in our day uh, questionable, and it shouldn't for every American citizen. It still shouldn't be questionable. It should still be an honor to be in this country. And if you don't consider it an honor, then you need to start traveling a little bit. Because the moment you travel a little bit, you'll take America hands down with all the problems that we have. Amen. And you'll love it here. Amen. But the principle, as you can see, is if it can work in this earthly world, it can work in spiritual things. There's a real parallel. So anything that you can get good at here, you can get good at there. And if it takes you a little time, if there's a process, then you just work through the time or the process. Amen. You get a new job and there's a learning curve. Well, that doesn't mean the first day on your job, just because you made some mistakes, you're going to continue to make them every single day. Uh, you know, the same thing is true with God. There's a learning curve, learning to allow God to be real in our lives. What would it do to us? How would it make us choose if we were aware of him at all times? What would we actually choose differently if we were aware of him and we became, if you will, very confident that he is not just a dream or a thought He's not just a belief in something that's there that's not experienced, but he's a real person. And our faith and trust in him would allow him to intervene in this world with signs and wonders and miracles. Could we trust him for that? Yeah. Even in my Baptist church that I grew up in, which I was so thankful to have some of the things put in me that were put in me, so I'm very appreciative. You know, prayers were always something that were never expected it's just that we knew we had the right to pray. We would hope and pray that it might actually work this time. But we'd always throw a little wrench in there just in case so that we could get off the hook, which was, Lord, if it be thy will. Even for things, <clears throat> things that were very easily seen through Scripture that it was his will. That way, if it didn't work, we could just say, well, you know, we're just still trusting God. It's obviously his will. He wants me to remain in this situation. But I'll give him glory and I'll give him praise. Well, those are weak prayers. Yes. Amen. You only say, Lord, be thy will, if you don't know what his will is. Those are the prayers of consecration and dedication. But for what God's given us in his truth, his word, and he's shown us time after time, amen, Jesus became the divine expression of God to show us exactly what the Father wanted us to do. Amen. And he showed us. He wants us healed. He wants us blessed. He wants us delivered from demons. He wants us to walk in peace and enjoy. Amen. Free from the law, free from burdens, free from condemnation, free from guilt and fear. Amen. Just free from all penalties and punishments. Praise God. And so those things you don't have to say, Lord, if it be thy will. Those things you can just grab a hold of. 
So this morning, I trust the Lord will help us in that. Well, I come to you with something new. Amen. It's always nice to have something new on the table. Some of you may have, everything may be new back there. And everybody's kind of bought everything where I've been. I've been, uh, I've done already nine messages here since last Saturday. We were in Newtown, Connecticut, and uh, ministered there about eight times, and then in Norwalk, Connecticut, ministered there once on a Wednesday night. And between all of those services and here, you know, we only have just a few things left, you know. So uh, this white book here is our newest book called Identity Crisis, and this will go back into being made in the image and likeness of God. So there's a lot of truth in there about who you are in Christ being made in his image and likeness, what you can expect out of this new creation person that we are. Amen. And, and what you should be aware of. Praise the Lord. I mean, you know, some people, uh, I guess, might look at the new and improved computer as a better screen so that they can watch their screen saver and those fish. They've always wanted an aquarium. And they have one that they don't even have to feed. It's just always on, and it's so beautiful. Well, there's a whole lot more to that computer than just a screensaver. And as you begin to learn about it, then you can begin to do some things that will actually bless your life. Well, the same thing's true about who we are in Christ. Being made in the image and likeness of God is an amazing and wonderful responsibility and blessing. At the same time, it can be a bad thing, too. Bad in the sense that if you point it in the wrong direction, you can create the realities of life that you don't want. So it's good to know what we are. Amen? Yes. God's put his own life inside of us. We'll talk about that a little bit today, but identity crisis is back there. Then we have uh, the miraculous gospel of John. Uh, this book right here is in a couple of universities as some of their uh, textbooks. Uh, it's a commentary to the gospel of John. And the whole twist to the commentary... Uh, and it has the New King James Version in here, is how does Jesus do what he does? So the book of John is a wonderful expose of, of the words and thoughts of Jesus, the miracles, signs, and wonders that he produced. And I wanted to get in this book into the mind of Jesus. Why did he say that? What made him say that? Why did he do that? If it's possible he thought about something and saw himself in a particular sense, that if I can see myself like that, that I could be able to produce the same results. Amen. The life of God in Jesus will do the same thing in Jesus that the life in God in you will do. Amen. And the life of God in you will do the same thing that it did in Jesus. Praise the Lord. So there is a method and an understanding that goes along with being able to reproduce the things that God wants us to reproduce. It's not just happenstance. You don't just shoot and see if you're, you know, if it's a blank or if you're loaded, you know. You can go into every situation being fully equipped and aware that God is real. Amen. So that this morning becomes some of my little advertisement. And we'll take our Bibles right now. Let's go over to the book of John. I'm going to have fun this morning. Amen. I believe that the Lord wants us to just really enjoy ourselves in his presence. I know there's people that are going to be touched and healed this morning. It's so good to see people being healed, to see tumors disappearing, seeing ears open up. My goodness, just in the last service we were at, there was um, a couple of people that had not tasted anything in over three years. And now I just got back the testimonies that they had their first Dr. Pepper in three years that they actually could taste. I don't know if that's the first thing that I would look at to taste. 
But anyhow, I, I mean, I'm glad that that blessed them. But now all of a sudden their taste buds are back. Isn't that awesome? I was in a service and this, this young gal, she hadn't smelled anything. And in so many years, she just lost all sense of what smell was. And we ministered to her and all of a sudden she smelled my cologne. She said, is it okay if I get a little closer? I said, yes, it's okay. And she went, oh, that smells so good. And she just started to smell everything. So she was walking around smelling things in the service. Can you imagine what the next week would be like as she went into a workplace? And, and then what would it be like to have dinner cooking and have, you know, some of the garlic and oil starting to... No one likes that smell. Oh, my gosh. That, that smell is almost in our house every day, you know. And, and it's just a, a delightful smell, you know. How awesome would that be, right? So it's just fun to see the Lord touch people and bless them and to see tumors coming out of people. I was in one service, and I felt really bad because, I don't know, it's probably I just had to get over myself. But the Lord said, there's a problem with someone's armpit. And I thought, well, you call that out. I don't want to call that out. <laughs> I mean, we've all got them, but it's not like I wanted to really, you know, okay, who's got a problem with your armpit? And it's like, well, who's going to really lift up their hand if they do, right? So I said, I said, someone's got a problem in your armpit. And I said, I seem to have the impression it's, it's, it's possibly a tumor that's there. And this lady's arm just shut up. She said, I've got a cancerous tumor right here in my armpit. And I said, well, come on up here. And I laid hands on her, and within just five minutes, she she literally started screaming and shouting. The tumor disappeared that was in her armpit. Amen. So I'm not as afraid to call that out anymore. Amen. Unusual things sometimes, but praise the Lord. It's so good just to see the Lord touching people, to see eyes healed. Amen. Where people can focus again. That's pretty awesome. Amen. To watch people's skin be made whole. Amen. That's awesome. All these things are amazing to multiple testimonies of individuals that uh, are no longer having acid, acid reflux, that are no longer having digestive problems, um, that, that uh, dis diseases like irritable bowel disease and Crohn's disease, smitten just in a heartbeat, and they go back to doctors and now they gain their weight back and uh, they're healthy and whole, don't have any more of those uh, problems that are in their intestines. Amen. That's awesome to see. Praise the Lord. We've seen so many people healed in their hearts. Amen. And we've seen people healed with emotional problems. Jesus said, heal the broken heart. Yeah. That didn't mean a broken physical heart. It meant the emotions. Amen. We always like to, you know, counsel the emotions. He didn't say counsel the emotions. He said heal the emotions. Do you mean the power of God, his presence, can go into the heart and just literally wipe away grief? And demolish emotional trauma? Yes. Amen. That's the beauty of God. His presence is so real. You come into an alignment with him and it'll change your focus completely. While you're looking at him, you can't be thinking about your grief or your turmoil. You'll lose sight of that. It'll leave you and go. Amen. It's just awesome to see God healing people. Knees and bones and joints being healed. Amen. Watching people that have had fresh breaks. All of a sudden, the pain disappears. And they literally can do everything. Go back to the doctor. They can't find even where the break was. These are fun things to watch. And it's just the beginning of what God wants to do with every single one of us. 
And so today as I minister, I want to give you something that's so simple and palatable that you can take home with you, but I also want it to actually uh, make an impact so that every day this week you'll be conscious of the Lord and he'll lead you to individuals where you can pray for them. <clears throat> Some of you may be thinking, oh my God, I would never pray for somebody, you know. And I understand that. Some of us, maybe that's not necessarily our personality. I remember we were in a Rodney Howard Brown meeting, you know, and this was years back, and, and we were good friends, Rodney and I, but now Aaron's starting to get, you know, introduced to him, and some of the crazy things he'll do, you know. I mean, he'll just call you up and say, Miss Jennifer, come on up and preach a little bit. And, you know, he'll just do stuff like that. So she looked at me, and she said, if he calls me up, I'm just telling you right now, I'm going to fall out, and I'm going to stay out until the service is over. Just wake me up. <laughs> So, you know, she's not one that would necessarily be saying, yeah, I just can't wait to go and tap someone on the shoulder and say, hey, God has a word for you, you know. You may be like that, but you know what? You can believe God to make it so amazingly simple. I was in a meeting down in Gulf Shores, and uh, this is down Mississippi and Alabama area, and there's a pastor there, and I preached about... Uh, releasing the power of God and being bold to do so. And he got up after the service, and, and it was very humbling to hear him talk because he humbled himself in front of everyone. He said, what I've just heard today makes me reflect on something that has happened just in the last month. And he said, it's really pierced my heart. And he said, I, I, I'm grieving in a sense over what took place. He said, but what I've heard today will cause me to never let it happen again. And he goes, this is what happened. He said, I was literally in a laundromat and he said there was a man that was there, and he was, he was just you know, moving so very slowly and everything. And he caught my eye, and he just started to pour out his... I didn't say anything to him. He started to pour out his heart to me, and he said, you know, I'm hurting so bad. He said, I've been to every uh, chiropractor that I could find that could try to help me, and I've had no help. I've tried alternative methods. I've had acupuncture and some other things, he said, and nothing has helped. He said, I'm in constant pain. He said, oh... Oh, if there was somebody that could help me. And he said, I literally let him say that and did nothing. And he said, but I'll never do nothing again. Think about if God set you up to be in a position where someone could like open the door so wide as you could say, have you ever tried prayer? Certainly can't hurt you. I'll tell you what, I'll bet you a shiny new dime God touches you. You might want to up the ante a little bit. That's a phrase we used like years and years ago when a dime actually could get you multiple gumballs. Now you actually need a quarter to get one little chiclet. Does anybody remember the day where you could put a penny in and get about four chiclets out? Remember that? And the chick said, what, what in the world's a chiclet? Well, you'd have to be old enough to know what that was. It's a little square piece of gum. Remember that? Huh? And, and I mean, you know, if you had four or five pennies, you'd have a boatload of gum. Today, a penny won't get you any gum. And either will a dime. So up the ante a little bit, all right? Shiny new dime, maybe, you know, a silver dollar or something or a gold bullion or whatever, you know. That God will heal you and set you free. How awesome would that be to have an experience like that? Amen? So let's get into the Word of God and thank Him for the Word. But, oh, my goodness, while we're preaching, go ahead and be healed. Feel God's presence come on. Amen? Be touched with the Lord. While, while we're preaching, uh, let Him give you a random thought. 
What do you mean? Like a random thought, like, like you're just sitting there listening and all of a sudden you see yourself running around the room and you have an ankle that doesn't work and you're thinking, oh my God, how in the world would I run around the room with my ankle? And that's really weird. Why would I do that? I don't know. Maybe because the Lord would encourage you to do something so that you could experience your healing. Amen. Amen. All of a sudden, you have a thought to just lift up that shoulder that you couldn't lift up. We saw a bunch of shoulders here just recently. Amen. People that couldn't lift up their arm, all of a sudden, it's going up, and there's no pain involved. Amen. Literally, pain is gone. See, these are things God will put in your mind, in your thoughts. That's how he gives you a picture. That's how you see things. God's given you imagination. What's that imagination? It's really kind of like a production studio. Think about it. Look at how real God thinks about imaginations. Remember over there, over in Matthew 5, where Jesus was confronted with that situation where there were Pharisees trying to prove that they kept the law. And Jesus then took it to a whole other level and he said, well, okay, if you think you've kept all the law, let me go to another level. And that is, if you've even had thoughts of adultery, it's as though you actually committed the sin itself. So notice what God actually thinks about our imaginations, that they actually have reality attached to them. Think about that. God looks at your imaginations as though there's reality in them. What if we looked at those imaginations as those reality in them? Do you think God would ever use your imagination? Well, the devil sure wants to use it. That's part of our weaponry that we pull down every imagination and thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Remember that over in 2 Corinthians chapter 10? Well, if the devil uses your production studio against you where you see your problem and you hear something and then you envision it, Oh my goodness, and people will go to Google and they'll Google their difficulty and then Google will give you the four different stages through which and then you'll come up with the one that you're in and then your mind will grab a hold of the next one and you'll have a little bit more pain today than you had before yesterday. And you'll be sure that you're, you've stepped over and crossed over into the third stage now. It's amazing how the devil will work on your brain, give your imagination such ungodly thoughts that you find yourself feeling like you're no good, you can't do it, you're sick, you're diseased, and you're not going to make it. And that's absolutely false. We're already on top in Christ. Amen. We've already got the victory. So let's just see some things from his word. And I'm so thankful that he's speaking to you even right now, giving you thoughts, prompting you, even while we're in this. Well, brother, I wouldn't do it while you're speaking. I wouldn't want to be disrespectful. Oh, no, the most respectful thing in the world would be to interrupt what I'm doing with a run, with a shout, with a testimony of God's healing. One testimony is like a pebble in a very still pond, and there are many ripples. Amen. I mean, someone's lower back is being healed as I speak. Within the next few seconds, you ought to be moving around on that and seeing what the Lord has just done to set you free. The pain you just came here with today, it's gone. Amen. Is everybody doing okay? Okay, John 8, 32. We know this scripture. You can quote it probably. And if you can't, don't worry about it. It's simple enough. You could hear it once and quote it then. It says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, there's some different ways that we could go in this, but I will describe this, that the word truth means reality. 
And so I'll just throw out something that we could go a different direction in, but it's still good for what we're doing now. That means if there is reality, there's probably a false reality, a non-reality, an alternate reality. So how would you define the correct reality? Well, you'd have to go right back to whoever created everything, and that would be God. I believe what God has shared in his word, what God will share to your heart is the correct reality. That's why if you see yourself running, don't go, oh, well, I can't do that. No, the false reality is you can't do that. God would show you what you really can do. Amen. And just to help authenticate that, isn't it interesting how Jesus, he didn't address somebody who said, wow, you know, that withered hand, that looks really bad. How, how, how long has that been? He didn't talk like that. He said, stretch it out. He said to the lepers, go show yourself to the priest. He said to the blind man, go home. See, he didn't say, well, you know, once you get healed, you can go home. He said, go home. Why would he say that? Because Jesus is the solution. <clears throat> Amen. It's like my redneck uh, buddy that I had uh, years ago. He went on to be with the Lord, wonderful friend. His name was Buzzy Sutherland. And uh, he uh, lived in El Dorado, Arkansas. Amen. Everybody drives a truck down there. They can drive back, drive uh, backwards faster than you can drive forwards. <laughs> Amen. He used to always get on my case. He said, you're listening Yankee while I'm talking fat back and collard green. That's what he always said. <laughs> But anyhow, Buzzy said, when I was in the ninth grade, he said, they tried to teach me the algebra. I love that he even called it the algebra, the algebra. <laughs> and he said, they tried to make, you know, numbers, you know, equal X's and Y's and Z's and all that kind of thing. He said, I never did really get it. He said, but on the final exam, the final exam was X plus Y equals 49. He said, I got so happy, I didn't even do anything. I just walked up to the teacher, put my, my paper down. I said, if I've got the 49, what do I care what X and Y is? <laughs> and you know, the real, the real truth about it is, if you are the solution, the answer, what difference does the problem make? Right? Right? I mean, think about it. 49, so 48 plus 1. Right? 50 minus 1. You can go into all kinds of denominations and all kinds of equations, but what does it matter if you're holding on to the 49? Amen? And when Jesus is the 49, he is the answer. Why would he say that that arm doesn't look good? Wouldn't he say, hey, why don't you use that arm? And you're thinking, yeah, but I can't. He goes, now you can. <laughs> right? So when the Lord shows you something, he's showing you the reality. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You shall know what's real, and what's real will set you free. Now, when does what, what is real set you free? When you know it. See, there are many things that you know in life, and this is part of the problem, if, is we have been tweaked to know things of this world and not know things of the other. Person, place, things move us all the time. A doctor's word will move you. When he has that look on his face and you can tell what he's getting ready to say to you isn't necessarily what you were hoping he was going to say. All of a sudden, what begins to set in? See, things that move you. What are those? Feelings and emotions. And those feelings and emotions that will move most people in the earth we're in today because there's so much wrong in the earth today is fear. And what we want to do is help you to know God so that you can get in what's called rest. What's the characteristic of faith? It's rest. 
<clears throat> there's not much rest in the world today. There's chaos. There's fear. People are upset. That's why there's so many stomach problems, so many uh, uh, digestive problems. People are upset. That's why there's so many problems with people's hearts. It's because of what? It's because of stress. We're in a stressful time. I mean, even when you're trying to get from one place to another, you've got to drive on a highway where, the, where it says 55 and people are going 75. I found that out in New England. It's 20 miles above the speed limit. <clears throat> Amen. And then there's still some people that are doing an extra 10. They go by you like you're standing still and you're going 75 and a 55 and they've got to be going 85 to 90 and you're just wondering what in the world, you know. And if you're just going with traffic, you're at least 15 miles an hour over, but most of the time, 20. D does anybody agree with that or am I embellishing that, huh? Hey, man, this is a crazy place, you say. <laughs> now, in Colorado, we're, we're just, you know, it's different because the speed limit is 75. So if you come out there, you can't go 95. Okay? So 80 works out there. 85 will even work out there. But you couldn't go 95. You can't do the 20 plus. But they do here. So how stressful is that? Right? And how far can you go until you hit traffic? And then does everybody use their signals? What they use is their horns. Now, granted, I'm not critical in this. I'm a New Yorker. I grew up in western New York, Niagara Falls, north of Niagara Falls. And so I learned how to use my what? Horn. How do we use our horns in New York? Toot, toot. No. 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 We use them in a way that people will know you're an idiot. We honk and then... Right? I mean, I grew up that way, right? You, you express feelings through your horn. <clears throat> Look at the stress that we live in constantly, right? The unrest. So fear is a motivator that people are very, very aware of. Rest is not something that people actually know too well. You could even go on a vacation and half of the vacation is just unwinding. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> and until you unwind, you don't even realize how stressed you were. Come on, let's not just stay here, but I want to share some of those thoughts to you because Jesus wants us, what? To be able to release his presence, to walk in his fullness. So I'm coming over here to Luke chapter 9 for a moment in the Message Bible. I'm going to start reading, and it says in verse 28... About eight days after this saying, he, Jesus, climbed the mountain to pray, taking Peter, John, and James along. While he was in prayer, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became blinding white. At once, two men were there talking with him. They turned out to be Moses and Elijah, and what a glorious appearance they made. 
They talked over his exodus, the one Jesus was about to complete in Jerusalem. Meanwhile, Peter and those who were slumped over in sleep, when they came to, rubbing their eyes, they saw Jesus in his glory and the two men standing with him. When Moses, Elijah had left, Peter said to Jesus, Master, this is a great moment. Let's build three memorials, one for you, Moses, and Elijah. He blurted this out without thinking. And then it says this in the message. While he was babbling on like this, a light, radiant cloud enveloped them. As they found themselves buried in the cloud, they became deeply aware of God. And then they heard a voice. Notice the phrase, what? Deeply aware of God. So deeply aware, in my opinion, seems to be a level of awareness. What do we want to live in as far as our awareness of God? A deep level of awareness. Why? Because something has to trump the awareness that we have for everything else. But if you can be deeply aware, then you can be a little aware. Or then you could actually go to the far other side of being what? Not even aware at all. Well, let's stop right there just for a second. And just think for a second, how aware are we? Because I know how aware I am of the flesh. I'm good at that. I've learned that. In fact, part of growing up is to become more aware of things of the flesh. Right? I mean, come on, when you're a little kid and and, and, and mom, while you're driving in the car, mom would say, hey, did you see that? No, I didn't see that. Because we're not usually aware. We only see certain things. We're not aware of the bigger picture. So one of the things we want to do to help ourselves become what? Less involved in difficulty or crisis or problems is become more what? Aware. So our senses, our sight, our hearing, our smell, everything is on alert, especially when we're around a big gathering, to be aware of things. How about when you're in a big gathering and you want to be aware of your family? Come on, when you're, when you're a parent and you got little kids, you want to be aware of them at all times, right? So how aware of God are we? Because it's always going to be a balance scale. This isn't sad. This is good. It helps you. If I'm very aware of the flesh, then I probably am not as aware of the spirit. But to become more aware of the Spirit, all I have to do is is not try to become aware of the Spirit. All I have to do is become less aware of the flesh. In other words, if every outlet is full and I have something, a contraption, that I need to plug into the wall, how am I going to be able to plug it into the wall unless I do what first? There you go. Unplug. It's very simple. So the things that I'm aware of, the thing I'm attached to, if I start to unplug from them, you say, well, I actually have to be involved in that thing. I'm not talking about not being involved. I'm talking about to the degree that you give it such value that it actually has a place in you. See, God has to become for every one of us someone who we give such value to, then he has a place in us. And the more he has a place in us, the more we will recognize him at all times. What's the value of recognizing God? Well, you just look in the Bible, and the Bible is nothing more than an expose of individuals who had a connection with God or an encounter with God. Is it not? Story after story with people that had an encounter with Jesus, that had an encounter in the Old Testament with God. And what took place in their lives when they had an encounter with God? Amazing things happened, right? Seas split. 
praise the Lord, battles were won without even lifting a sword. Think about that, because they had what? Some type of an encounter with this person. And is this something that we can have? Well, my God, think about the revelation of the new covenant. The greatest revelation, the mystery unfolded is God didn't just want to be with you. God wanted to step inside of you and live in you and you be so aware of what's in you that you're literally carrying around the answer to every problem before you even get to it. What would that do to your psyche? How would that affect your mind? What would that do to the way you choose? If God is real to you and he is the answer, would you then lean upon the arm of man or would you then lean upon the arm of God? If you came to a place of decision and you had the opportunity to either go with man or God, would you not be able to, if God was real, very, very easily say, I'm siding with God, even when all the relatives say you're crazy, even when your friends question you, even when the professionals question you, the doctors and the lawyers and those that seem to have information of what a real good decision would be, and yet you go against it. They'll say, well, you could die that way and say, no, I'll live. You could get sick. No, I'm healed. You could lose all your money. He said, no, glory to God, I'm prosperous. What gives you the right to make a decision that looks foolish and irresponsible in this world? It's when there is some sense of knowledge and awareness of something else. Is it possible that that something else is here in this room right now? Hallelujah. Is it possible that he's real enough to get into your pancreas? I know someone's pancreas is going to get healed today. Amen. Just touched by God, altered just a tiny little bit because he doesn't need much. Why? Because the work's already done. And his glory is beyond touching a pancreas. Come on. This is light stuff. Amen. Thank God for someone's lungs being healed, someone who's had shortness of breath, someone who had difficulty this morning with, with what we call asthma, something that's trying to take away your life and your breath. God's going to smite that here this morning, right in a few moments when we minister to you, and you'll be set free. Why? Because he's here. Someone would say, well, I don't necessarily feel him yet. Well, allow your heart to open to the idea that he is here first. And then you can begin to sense that he is. You say, well, how am I going to sense that? Because you have spiritual senses. I mean, is it not normal for me to smell a beautiful smell? Yes. Is it not normal for me to see beautiful things? Yes. To hear things. I mean, would it be the biggest joke in the world and so disappointing if I got to heaven and there's a thousand member angelic choir but I can't hear Huh? Beautiful fruit, but I can't taste. Amazing flowers, but I can't smell. Come on. And I know God's somewhere on the throne, but I can't see. Come on, this would be like a joke. What, what happened? Well, you don't have any spiritual senses. No, the physical senses show you that they are a mere image to the spiritual senses. And real faith is where God and his realness starts to tweak your spiritual senses beyond your physical senses. And so you hear the world tell you this, but you're hearing God tell you this. You see what you see in the world here, but you see something different in God. 
Jesus said he was motivated constantly by what? By what he heard his father say and what he saw his father do. So that shows me that God's wanting us to hear things and see things even here this morning. Come on, let's go a little bit further with this thought. And now I'm going to just kind of change here to where I'm going. What was this radiant stuff that was coming out of Jesus? He began to glow like a light bulb. Huh? And we see bits and pieces of this even in the Old Covenant. Moses got in the presence of God for 80 days. Glow, little glow, glimmer, glimmer. You know what I mean? He came walking down out of the mountain and people are going, what's that? Right? And it freaked everybody out to the point where Moses had to put a bag on his face just so he wouldn't freak everybody out. And then Moses didn't want to take the bag off because he didn't want people to see that out of the presence of God, it began to actually dissipate. Right? Radiance. The presence of God. This life. Do we see that this is a pattern of God? Yeah. Think about over in Genesis 2 and verse 7. God breathed into man the breath of what? Life. And he became a living being. It's that life that he breathed into him that obviously has the potential to not only lodge itself inside of you, but then be revealed out of you. Now, we know that to be true because, you know, especially when, you know, uh, your wife is cold, she wants to get what? Close to you. And then if she's warm, she wants to get away from you. Amen. I mean, let's just say it. Just say it. You know, those first years, you know, of marriage, it's all about snuggle and these feet that are so cold that it will wake you up out of a dead sleep and think you had a nightmare. Oh my God, what's that? That's my feet. Oh, did you have your footies on? I did. Are you breathing? I am. No one's feet can be that cold and be alive. Can I just put them, you know, where she put She put them right on the inside of your thigh. Can I just put them there? And then I realized I married a thief. She's stealing my heat. This is part of the better or worse thing. And then after a certain amount of time, all of a sudden she says things like, uh, hey, can I come, come over to snuggle? You're too warm. You know, you're ruining my sleep. Stay over on your side. Well, where'd all that, you know, I'm, I'm cold and I need your body heat go. I'm, I'm warm now. You know, things change and stuff. And this is just over us being alive. And if that's how it works when we're alive, what would it be like if God's life were in us and if God the Holy Ghost were in I wonder what his temperature reads. Hmm, that's a thought, right? We have a certain perfect temperature in our body, but what does his temperature read? Because, you know, if you start working a little bit, you'll work up, you know, your heart rate, and you'll work up your temperature, and then all of a sudden you'll start to perspire, you'll start to sweat. Why? Because you don't want to blow up on the inside because what? You're working yourself. There's something in you, and it's coming out. Well, what about God oh, at work in us at all times? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Paul goes on to, to challenge us. Now, to you who think unto God who's able to do exceedingly above all you ask or think according to the power that works in you. 
So you don't even have to jumpstart God's power. It's already there at work in you. So what degree does God's power get up to? What is the temperature of the Holy Ghost? And would it seem weird that that temperature had the ability to come out of you and affect your surroundings? Come on, you may be watching, you know, the game this afternoon. And the temperature and the rain, if the Patriots are playing at home, are they home or are they away? All right. So watch what happens after they've been running really hard and they take their helmets off and steam comes up out of their body. Hmm? What would that look like? Could look like glory. So should we be surprised that the Holy Ghost and that presence is glorious like that? Come on over to 1 John, because it all comes back to what you know. You should know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In other words, the thing that's, the, that's real to you. We could use, use a word like what's most conscious to you, consciousness, the thing that you know. But let's look at that for just a moment. Over here in 1 John in chapter 5, we'll start in verse 11, and this is the Amplified. It says, and this is a testimony the evidence that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who possesses the son has life. He who does not possess the son does not have life. I write this to you who believe, adhere to, trust in, and rely on the name of the son of God in the peculiar services and blessings conferred by him on men so that you may know with settled and absolute knowledge that you already have life. Yes, eternal life. And this is the confidence, the assurance, and the privilege of boldness which we have in him. That if we ask anything, make any request according to his will in agreement with his own plan, he listens to and hears us. And if since we positively know that he listens to uh, us in whatever we ask, we also know with settled and absolute knowledge that we have granted us uh, the possession and the request made of him. So just for a second, think of what he's saying. If, if knowing him is the reason why you also have what he has given you, then knowing you have eternal life is the reason why eternal life works. I'm going to say it again, and this is the confidence that we have in him. If we, if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of him. Look at what the emphasis is putting on how well you know it, the thing that's real to you. And if you have scripture for it, you should have 100% confidence that God will hear you when you pray. And if you have confidence in that, then you also know you have it. Not just asking for it, you know you have it. Now think with me for a moment. If knowing that I have it is the reason why it works, then knowing you have eternal life is the reason why it works. That's why the verse above that, he said, the one thing I want to make sure that you know is that you know that you have eternal life. Because if you know you have eternal life, eternal life will begin to work. Now, what is eternal life? My chariot coming for to carry me home. Right? Is it my chariot to get me home? No. Eternal life is not your chariot. Eternal life is the quality and the substance of God's own life. It's the composition of what makes God who he is. Isn't that right? It's the makeup, the composition, the substance. So think about this for a moment. The reason why we get so blessed by looking at God's creation is because the substance and the makeup and the composition of God is in it. You go out into the woods and sit there as a hunter. The moment you get out into the woods and you begin to relax, you just feel like oh, God's everywhere. 
Come on, the moment you get into a flower garden, you might feel like just by looking at the beauty of those flowers, oh my goodness, God, your, your beauty is amazing. You look at the mountains. We get to look at the mountains. Oh my gosh, Lord, your mountains are so beautiful. Three weeks ago, I was playing golf, and there was an alert that there was a mountain lion in the area. And I found him on the golf course. It was so awesome. I drove right up on him. I'm, I'm about this far away, right here to the pole. I'm driving in my cart, and it's like, it's not a dog. It's not a deer. It's not a bobcat because there's a long tail. Oh, my God. That's a mountain. That's a, that's a mountain lion. So I didn't want to scare him, you know. So I just, I just whistled real loud. He turned around and saw me and then took off into the bushes. I'm like, I just saw a mountain lion while I'm playing golf. This is awesome. Now, the bushes were right there when I was teeing off, so I was a little bit just look, look, looking over my shoulder, you know. And I went home and I told my daughter, Chloe, I said, Chloe, I saw a mountain lion on the golf course. She said, well, Dad, there's a mountain lion alert. I said, I met him. <laughs> this is awesome. Now, you don't know how much that blesses me. Like, not wigs me out. No, it blesses me. I like that kind of stuff. I'm playing golf a little at a different course. It's in, in the mountains. And I round the corner coming up to a little par three. And there's three huge mule deer on the tee box. Two of them are standing there. One's laying on the side, like on the slope. Now, their rumps are like huge. It's not like a white-tailed deer. These are like just big buff type of deer. Big, huge rear end. Big racks. All of them had huge racks. You know, as big as my hand. Not in, they weren't this big, and I'm saying this. They were this big. They were huge. And so I rounded the corner and thought, that's different, you know? So I got to go up there and hit. So I took my club and I got this close to him. I said, come on. Come on, you're going to have to have to move, you know? And he just looked at me and go, oh. and he pushed himself up like this, and he moved about five feet and just stood there. And it's like, shoot, man, I'm hitting over here, and I got a mule deer with a rack this big and two others right there, just like right there. I, I, I'm going to, you know, you almost wondered, do I have to bring some protection with me, you know, when I play golf? But I love that. I'm, I'm again, sorry, they're all golf on a 16th tee box. And I heard, ah, you know, this big bird of prey sound, thinking it's a hawk. Turn around, and there's a beautiful lake right there. And out of one of the tallest pine trees, an eagle just takes off flight, goes right over that, and literally goes right over my head. And I just stood there kind of stunned and just like, I don't even care about my golf game right now. <laughs> Why? Because I can feel him in that. I can see him in that. Substance. What is this life? It's substance. The life of God is substance. Now, the devil wants to steal this from you. This is what makes everything work, folks. Just like your heart beating in this earthly world pumps blood, oxygen, lungs breathe, it makes you work physically. God's life is your spiritual substance, and that substance actually infiltrates even your physical body. The same life God used to raise Jesus from the dead, it's the Holy Spirit that quickens you with that same life in this lifetime. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. In the same passage, it talked about the thief who comes to steal. What would he like to steal? He'd like to steal your life. 
What's one of the ways that he can steal your life? By making you ignorant of the life. Right? Right? People are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance or the hardness of their heart. What's alienate means? To be a non-participant. What does the devil want you to do? He doesn't want you to participate with what you actually have. He knows what you have. And he knows the potential of who you are. In fact, so much so that he never would have crucified the Lord of glory if he knew what was going to happen on the other side of the cross. And that is, people would believe in him and God would empower you with such power to change you into a brand new species and make you what? A son of God. You won't be, you won't be attached to blood. What do you mean? Well, that's over in John chapter 1, verse 13. It says, not of blood. In other words, you were born not of blood, not of the will of man, not of the will of flesh. In other words, all the things that we identify with here on this earth, the first thing John said was, inspired by God, when you receive this life, you are no longer born of blood, will of man, will of the flesh. You are born of God. Well, in my family, which family are you talking about? God's family or are you talking about your earthly family? Well, we've had diabetes in my family. Well, not in God's family. You're not born of blood. You're not born of blood. You are born, praise the Lord, of the life of God, which gets into your physical blood that literally changes your composition. Come on, for just a second. Can I just mess with you for a second? Think about Genesis chapter 6 for just a moment. What happened in Genesis 6? I know people have certain different ideas, but, but it seems pretty, pretty certain that it talks about the sons of God, you know, really thought that the daughters of men looked really beautiful, and they came down and had relations with them, and then they created giants. So the fact that they created giants kind of does away with the idea that the sons of God just happened to be, you know, those that believed in God versus the daughters of men were those that didn't. Because I haven't been seeing giants being created, you know, it's not the normal deal. So what would that seem to indicate? Those giants are not real humans. Those are hybrids. The composition of what took place altered the genetic code and caused people to grow 10, 15 feet tall very demonic so now let me ask you a certain question what would happen if God would come and change your nature by his Holy Spirit does that just leave us like little old lowly human beings or does that alter our genetic code the very life of Almighty God back into a human being that was lost will literally alter your genetic code. It will change your DNA. It'll make it impossible for your body to ever be sick as long as you live. It'll empower your immune system to kill everything that this world could ever put on you. I'm telling you, we, we have underestimated what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God and what the new creation nation is, this new species that God made where he not only walks with man and has perfected him, but he's perfected him so well he can literally live inside of him and walk around in them. Come on, we've got the Holy Ghost living in us. You know, it's not the dirty ghost and it's not cash for the friendly ghost. We're talking about the Holy Ghost is in us. And the only way the Holy Ghost could come and live inside of you as a container is if you were just as perfectly holy as the Holy Ghost. Some may say, well, I don't feel holy. It's not about your feelings. 
It's about recognizing who you are and having knowledge of it. In other words, so that you sway the peg from the knowledge of the world over to the knowledge of God and what God is in you and who he is becomes the determining factor to your choices. It's what motivates you. It's what excites you. And it's what causes you to connect with him. Wow, this is a powerful thought. What would happen if that life were really in us? And it is. Back in healing school, you know, I used to mess with the, with the students because I believed in that life that's in me. I believed it and started acting on it like it was actually there. There were times I didn't feel anything, but I acted like it was because I believed that it was. And I had scriptures that showed me that it was, that the Christ is living in me in the same way he emanated that life from him. Because, see, the life is the energy. It's the source. The reason why the sun emits the light and shines that it does is because of the life and the energy of the sun. When the life and the energy of God comes to live inside of your being and you become filled with what's called zoe, the life of God, that means life in the absolute sense. In other words, there's not any darkness at all in this life. There's not any sin in this life. There's no sickness in this life. It's 100% pure God living inside of your divine nature purified you to the point where it's impossible for anything of this world to touch you. How come things touch me all the time? Because we don't believe in this. We don't become what? Engaged in this. And we don't bet our life on this. So I'd mess with these students. I'd get there early and I'd sit in some of the seats and they were even plastic where people had told me it won't work in plastic. But I decided that it would. So I'd sit in the chair, put my hands on two other chairs, and I'd just begin to let that life come out of me. How did you let it come out of me? Remember, there's a production studio in my mind. It's called my imagination. And I looked at the scriptures of Jesus beginning to shine and the glory coming all over him. It wasn't a halo on the top of his head. It was a halo that went all over his body. And I saw that picture of Christ on the mountain and I just released it. And all of a sudden I'd feel that presence, that power begin to come out of my hands and go into that seat. And then I'd get up, you know, an hour later and we'd be up there and we'd be worshiping God and praising the Lord. And all of a sudden three people that are sitting in those seats would jump up and start running around the room where they jump up and just start dancing. They'd jump up and just say, my God, my God, I'm so hot, I'm so hot. And what were you doing? I was proving that that power is real. It can emanate out of us. That's God's life that's in you. That's why I said, what would happen if you came in contact with somebody on the street? There's something in you that wants to come out of you. Someone help me with the scripture. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen. If it's greater, then you got to let the greater one come out of you, which means position yourself so that something has to actually move. Position yourself so something has to actually flow. Maybe for everyone in this room, we could take multiple steps up in our ascendancy in God. That's big hogwash. Let's say it again. We could, we could begin to actually understand God and know God in much greater fashion if we'd actually give some credibility to this life. I've got the life of God in me. Well, there's a pain coming in my back. Well, I just put some of that life on me. I rub some of that on me. 
Did Jesus ever rub it on people? Come on, he'd be in the middle of a crowd and somebody would want that life, reach out and touch him and say, man, something came out of me. He could tell something came out. Just like if you could tell somebody reached in your pocket tried to take your wallet. Somebody just took something from me. The disciples said, come on, everybody's touching you. He said, well, it wasn't just that kind of touch. The woman felt that something came out of Jesus and went into her body and she knew that she was healed of the plague. Come on, think about that one story. It's not just an isolated story. That's the what? That's the science of the spirit to this life of God. Remember what he said? You shall know reality and the reality you know. In what manner do I know it? Well, it's become my allegiance. Why? Because it's become the one thing I set my mind on. It's become the one thing that I actually bet my life on. One translation of Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is betting your life on the unseen realities of God. Do they stay unseen when you bet your life on them? No. They become very what? They become aware to your flesh, aware to your spirit. Is anybody getting anything out of this as we're getting ready to close? Wanting to minister to some people here in just a second. So when I said earlier, someone's being healed in the lower back, you could say, well, you know, you just said that. Well, what if those words had substance in them? Jesus said to the nobleman, your son is now healed. And he went home and found out that the moment that Jesus actually has said it is the exact moment when the son was made whole. And they weren't even in the same proximity, were they? They were a distance apart. Is it possible that those words could have substance? Everything we're talking about this morning is this life, this substance. Wanting to get to know the substance of heaven's realm and world versus the substance of this one. Come on, I'm, in, I, I'm just like you. I, I love a good bagel. I, I love a good piece of, of New York ch uh, cheesecake, you know. And, and oh my God, I love a good piece of New York pizza. One of the hardest things I did when I was at Raymond is I did a commercial for Mazio's Pizza. Mazio's Pizza is just a little bit of an abbreviation of French bread, some weenies, and a little ketchup. Okay? Did you kind of get where I'm going with that? Disgusting. And I had to actually take a bite of it and act like Mazio's Pizza is the greatest thing in the world. And when I did my little, you know, my little acting, you know, they said, oh my God, you're the one for the part. And I had to get on TV and everybody saw me in Tulsa acting like, oh, and they come up and say, you love Mazio's Pizza, don't you? I was like, you, you'd want to just get, why? Because I'm a New Yorker. Come on, somebody. You got to fold it, let it drip a little bit, and then eat it. Come on, somebody. Mazios, you can't even fold it if you wanted to. There's nothing to drip. Amen. It's... I love some of these wonderful things that my senses know so well in this world. I just want to get good at some of these things, even the basic things that my senses spiritually can know of the other world. Jesus walked around as the solution, and if the solution is living in me, what problem is there that's too big for the life of God in me? Now, again, we can talk like that, get people excited, maybe even get a little bit of a Hammond B3 organ going and feel like, dun 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 Woo, glory. That life is in me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And, and thank God, and I would want to dance too, but then the next thing I need to ask myself, well, then how do I get that to work? I mean, I know it's there, but how do you get that to work? You see, it's what? It's literally giving yourself to the idea that that life is greater than anything here and putting yourself in a position where you actually have to use it. The old-timer A.W. Tozer said it this way. Real faith is where you put yourself on purpose in a position where you can't go back. Yes. 
Pseudo-faith is where you have a way out just in case God fails you. Come on, I'm going to say that one more time. Real faith is where you put yourself on purpose in a position where you can't go back. Pseudo-faith is where you have a way out just in case God fails you. So real faith in this life would be to put myself in a position where that life has to actually work. And it's when you know it to be so that it actually flows. Now, is there anybody at all like me where you've been saved a real long time? Okay. Anybody here been saved uh, 40 years? Any, you've been saved for 40? Four. No, 40. We New Yorkers, we put the R in. Four T years. You guys take them out. 40. Amen. 40 years. So I'll put that R in. 40 years plus. Anybody? 40 years plus. Anybody back here? You've been 40 years. Anybody 50 years plus? Anybody? 50 years. I've been saved for 54. Came right out of the womb. No, just kidding. <laughs> one thing I can tell you, and I would have told you even as a four-year-old boy when I got saved. One thing I can tell you is I know and have always known I have eternal life. I just didn't know what eternal life was. I thought it was the chariot. We sang about it every Sunday. But when I found out eternal life is the divine quality of God's actual makeup, composition, and substance, literally imparted into my human spirit until my whole DNA and my genetic code has been altered and I am more like him than I am me. Greater is he that's in me. I can't even look at myself as a normal human anymore like people know humanity because people know the humanity that's altered where the blood has been, is not purified. When Jesus comes to make everything wrong right, you become a human being, what? In the image and likeness of God now. You're back in the pattern of what? Someone who's able to rule and dominate in life and there's no entities out there that have any place over you. You actually sit in a heavenly throne with Almighty God. Why? Because he had to raise you up there. He just didn't do it, you know, like, like okay, we'll let him come up here. No, when he made us so much like Jesus, he put everything in Jesus when he was in hell. He put everything in Jesus that was necessary to make you exactly like him. We don't take his place, but we are a representative exactly as Jesus is himself. We are the body and he is the head. It wasn't like he was putting us on the seat of heaven as just a good measure for us, a good will to do. In other words, a nice thing. He had to allow us to sit on the throne because that's how much we are like him. There's nothing we have to fear in this lifetime, but we do have to do what? Allow this life that we now are to actually work. And you work it when you know that it's there. Have you ever had a situation where you didn't know that you actually had the tools to help you do a better job and a faster job? <laughs> Until after you spent two or three hours trying to do what you did old school, somebody walks up and says, you know, this tool will do the whole thing for you. <laughs> we can struggle in life like, like we've used to, but we've got an amazing tool on the inside. It's the life and nature of Jesus Christ. And that wonderful life 
will heal. So I go back to my question, and then as we're closing here, we'll minister to some people and trust that what we've said today has elevated your thoughts to this amazing place of actually believing in what God believes about you. That you are fully equipped, just like him, to walk free from every chaotic situation of life. You have been programmed to know him inside and out. Your very cells in your body are communicated with God. You're Bluetoothed to heaven. Your cells are. Cellular communication is Bluetoothed to heaven. You don't try to know him. You do. You don't try to hear him. You do. You don't try to feel him. He's there. The cells of your body recognize it. The residue of God in you knows it to be true. I'm just trying to give your mind an opportunity to relax and see it and feel it because it's there, God's presence. So who in here had the lower back problem? When I said that, someone's lower back is being healed. Who in here? Is someone pointing? Brother, how are you doing right now? Have you, have you, have you done a little bit of shake, rot, rattle, and roll? Have you? Where, where is the problem that you had, my friend? Well, I know the lower back, but I mean, what's going on right now? You seem to be moving like someone who is able to move. What's that? It feels good, doesn't it? So do you think that only works while you're in a building like this? Or do you think that works for the rest of your life? Wow. Thank you, Lord. I'm in Newtown, Connecticut about six years ago. We just found out I've, I've been going for 20 years to that church. I told them with how much you make me preach, that is about 120 sermons. I don't know anything else. I was just messing with them. It was fun to be back there with them. About six years ago, a lady was walking toward the foyer while I was walking because I was hungry and wanted to get to the diner. There's a really good diner there we like to go to. As she got to where the doorway to the foyer was, we were standing right in front of it, and she said, I said to her, well, did you get anything? She said, I did. I was the one that got instantly healed of the tendonitis. And then she looked a little puzzled, and she said, but can I ask you a question? I said, yes, you can. She said, uh, it all came back. Do you know why? And before I could think, I said yes, which then became a real interesting scenario for me. I said yes, but my mind didn't necessarily know, why did you say yes? Like, this will be interesting. Let's see what comes out next. And she says to me, she says, well, well why um, did it come back? And then I said, because of the door right there, you're getting ready to go out. And my mind was like, that's probably one of the lamest answers I've ever given in my life. What, what does the door have to do with? This is one of those things where you're just speaking before you know. Has anybody ever spoke before you knew? Was it, was it a, a, ever, anybody have a bad situation like that? But you can also have good ones where God will inspire you. And so I said, the door. She said, what about the door? I said, well, the door represents your other life. And you've already unhooked from what you received here, and you're getting ready to go back to pain and difficulty and struggles. I said, because that's how you view your life outside this, this building. She goes, oh, oh, my, oh, my gosh. That is, like, profound. That's, 
right. And then she started to laugh. And I said, why are you laughing? She said, because it all left again. I said, do I have to? She stopped me. She goes, you don't have to say a thing. She said, I got it. I got it. Isn't it interesting? Just changing the way we see something allows you to hold on to it. That life that went into your back, sir, is not only good here in this building, it's good as soon as you walk out there for the rest of your life. Amen. And if I were you, I'd look for an opportunity to use that back doing something you haven't done in a long time because you can. Amen. And for no other reason, because you can. Now, who in here has been having the problems in your lungs where you've been dealing with some asthma or some allergies, things that are starting to take away and rob from you? At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.